All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me today. So today we have a what I think is a fascinating topic. We're talking about in intervals, endurance, and their relationship to fatigue. So this is a topic of interest for athletes who do a lot of concurrent training because they want to know what aerobic training modalities or program designs would be more compatible with strength training and adaptations to strength and power training. So, uh, so we're going to look at intervals and endurance work in the literature and examine a lot of the mechanisms that influence fatigue and then by extension influence how you can adapt to strength and power training. If you're, if you're doing these things concurrent with strength training, resistance training. So, Bottom line up front is there's no apparent reason why intervals would attenuate strength gains more than endurance work, as long as energy expenditure is equated. No apparent reason. So uh, if there is a mechanism why higher intensity training would attenuate strength gains more or cause more fatigue than endurance work, we don't know what mechanism that is. The thing is, equating energy expenditure is really hard to do in the field. So if you're an athlete or you're a coach, it's really difficult to get an accurate approximation of your energy expenditure from either intervals or endurance. Uh, the best we have are approximations of that. And so we need to rely heavily on subjective measures of fatigue and recovery and objective measures of performance to assess program accuracy or, or program efficacy, I should say. Interval training appears to produce all of the same adaptations as endurance training, again, if energy expenditure is equated, while also increasing anaerobic performance and the glycogen storage capacity of muscle. So there are adaptations that you get with higher intensity interval training that you don't get with endurance training, but the vice versa does not appear to be true. Okay, so one of we're gonna go mechanism by mechanism here. And the first one is muscle fiber type. So one of the common things that you'll hear thrown around is, well, if you're doing zone two, then your fast twitch muscle fibers are not activated and then therefore not being conditioned. And so that type of training is really just a recovery modality and is not very specific to CrossFitters. And uh, one study I saw pushes back pretty hard on that. Uh, that's what the researchers hypothesized. They hypothesized that the type one fibers would be the only fibers recruited in slow endurance training, and that turned out not to be the case. So the researchers hypothesized that the intervals would recruit faster twitch muscle fibers, and the endurance work would only recruit, like I said, type one fibers. So they had one group cycle at over 65%, between 65 and 75% intensity, and the type 2A fibers were recruited as indicated by fiber specific glycogen depletion. So they took a biopsy of the muscle after the long slow distance endurance work. And sure enough, there was less muscle glycogen in that, in those fast twitch fibers as the same amount of depletion as with uh, high intensity interval training. So that hypothesis, uh, which was contrary to their hypothesis. So if you, if you thought that originally, then you're not alone in that. The researchers hypothesized that that would be the case that it would be type one fibers that would be muscle glycogen depleted and that the type two A fibers would not get involved and therefore have all of their, the muscle glycogen that they had when they started as after the session, 
but that was not the case. So uh, the type 2A fibers were almost certainly recruited and glycogen depleted after the zone two work. So what does that mean? Well, the idea that if you're doing zone two work that you have to polarize it with really fast bursts or you have to do some movement work or mix work in there in order to recruit your fast switch muscle fibers and then settle into your zone two work, uh, I would really just relax on that. I don't think that, I, I think you are basically just performing more work and that the main predictor of how much you're going to adapt is how much you work. And so there's no recruiting of fast switch fibers that you need to do as long as your endurance work is above 65% intensity. You're still gonna recruit your type 2A fibers. I suspect those fibers are the main class of fibers that you need for CrossFit. So I would not worry about doing, you know, spurts of really high intensity to recruit those muscle fibers and then condition them because you're already recruiting type 2A fibers above 65% intensity anyway. So that is the muscle fiber type mechanism. Hormonal stress. So hormones are really hot right now and they get basically, they, I think they get way more attention uh, as a mechanism than they need to be getting. As long as you're within natural physiological levels, I don't think they're nearly as significant as people think they are. So now if we're talking super physiological levels, if we're talking, you know, exogenous testosterone, things like that, then of course that uh, makes a huge difference. Just like an individual going through puberty makes a huge difference, but Within natural physiological levels, I think that testosterone specifically gets way too much credit for uh, positive adaptations to resistance training, for example. Uh, but we're going to look at hormones and we're going to compare how our hormones respond to interval training versus endurance training. So uh, a common argument you will hear put forth with this is that yeah, high, high intensity interval training is super stressful. Your cortisol is going to be really high. Your testosterone is going to be inversely related to the cortisol. So it's going to be suppressed and that's going to attenuate your strength and power adaptations. Well, it turns out that it, that appears not to be the case. So there was a study that took salivary stress markers. So they took their saliva and they measured cortisol and testosterone immediately after all the way out to three hours after both high intensity interval training and endurance training. And yes, cortisol was acutely higher immediately after high intensity interval training, higher than it was when compared to regular endurance training, but those levels were covered within three hours. So it's not like your cortisol stays elevated and actually your, your cortisol goes down three hours after any type of exercise. So it actually, any type of exercise actually has a cortisol regulating effect, not a cortisol spiking effect. If we're looking at the, uh, the, the trends that happen after three hours or more after the bout of exercise. So this, this is a minor hormonal difference. It does not appear to be significant enough to attenuate anabolic processes or maximal strength expression in my opinion. And that's all I have to say about hormonal stress and the differences between intervals and endurance. Okay, moving on to metabolic and cardiorespiratory stress. So the metabolic and cardiorespiratory stress as measured by lactate, heart rate, and VO2 max is of course greater with high intensity interval training. It's in the name high intensity. So you're getting more lactate accumulation, your heart rates are higher, and your percentage of VO2 max that you're operating at is higher. 
So those, there is more metabolic and cardiorespiratory stress. Many years ago, we would have thought that the presence of lactate would be viewed as a mechanism of muscle fatigue. And while it is always present when muscles fatigue, it does not appear to be the thing that is causing muscle fatigue. Lactate is metabolized as a fuel substrate and recent experiment, experiments in mammal muscles observe no relationship between lactate and muscle fatigue. So they literally just inject the muscle with lactate and it is still able to contract the same. So lactate does cause acidosis, meaning a drop in pH, but that acidosis does not appear to be the cause of muscle fatigue. So muscle function returns before pH has fully normalized. So that does not appear to be the mechanism that causes muscles to fatigue. Uh, what is more likely is the breakdown of creatine phosphate and the release of inorganic phosphate as a result of that, hydrogen ions inhibiting the binding of calcium to troponin and the prolonged rate of calcium reuptake by inhibiting the ATPase pump of the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So that's those are more likely molecular mechanisms for muscle fatigue, but the point is that just because something is more metabolically stressful as indicated by lactate concentrations does not mean that it is more fatiguing or therefore more attenuating of strength and power adaptations. So uh, you, you can say, well, intervals are metabolically and cardiorespiratory more stressful than endurance training, but I'm going to make the argument that work being equated, energy expenditure being equated energy expenditure more so than work. That uh, should be specific there. Energy expenditure being equated, it appears that intervals and endurance training are equally compatible with strength and power training. Okay, moving on to fuel substrates. So this is where we're gonna get into some actionable information. So we know that exercise performance acutely drops when blood glucose and muscle glycogen drop below certain levels. Both of these fuel sources are used in intervals and in endurance work. The difference is the rate at which they are used, which is determined by the intensity of the exercise. So one argument that you'll commonly hear put forth is that, well, intervals, because they're higher intensity, they're more glycolytic, and therefore you're using the same energy system, you're using the same fuel substrates as your resistance training, and that is true. However, that does not mean that you are not using those fuel substrates, those glycolytic fuel substrates in your endurance work. So the idea that, oh, I'm just doing zone two, I'm just oxidizing fat, I'm not using any muscle glycogen or any blood glucose is definitely not the case. And that is totally indicated by the nutrition strategies that we use with endurance athletes to make sure that their blood glucose and their muscle glycogen is being re replenished intra-workout. So don't make the mistake of thinking that you're not depleting glycolytic fuel substrates when you're doing your zone two work, you are, you are oxidizing more fat as well, but you're also depleting your glycolytic fuel stores. So what does that mean? We need to keep blood glucose and muscle glycogen topped up. If we want to do other training in the day or in the week, especially resistance training. So we need to make sure that those things are getting replenished, whether we're doing zone two work or interval, interval training. So it really appears to be the amount of work, meaning the energy expenditure, 
compared between intervals and endurance training. And as long as those are equal, it appears that both methods of training are equally viable and compatible with resistance training. The thing about that is equating energy expenditure, like I said before, is really tough to do. All we have are approximations of that. And if you don't have lab equipment, it makes it even tougher. So bottom line is the more you do, whether it's interval training, zone two, either one you choose, the more you'll attenuate your maximal strength. So this is why I advise CrossFitters who want to train with a strength bias to exchange their intervals and metcons for long, slow distance endurance work because they end up lowering their energy expenditure. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is because to a CrossFitter, a 45 minute zone two session is a long session. So it's not like they're putting in 90 minutes, two hours, three hours on the bike. They're doing a 45 minute zone two session and they're out of there. Compared to the intervals that they're used to doing, I suspect that that is less energy expenditure than the intervals that they're used to doing. So when I tell them to do less intervals, they actually end up lowering their energy expenditure. It's not the high intensity itself that is attenuating their strength adaptations. It is the energy expenditure. So when I tell them to just chill out and do some zone two, they actually end up reducing their energy expenditure. By lowering the athlete's energy expenditure, the concurrent training effect is mitigated. The athlete is less fatigued and that makes them able to progress in their strength. That's why I recommend if you're training with a strength bias, one to two interval sessions a week and keep everything else long, slow, and easy. Okay, like I said before, okay, so we're at the end. So to review, to review, there is no apparent reason why intervals would attenuate strength gains more than endurance work if you equate for energy expenditure. The thing is equating for energy expenditure is difficult to do, especially in the field. So if you're listening to this as an athlete as, or as a coach, then just keep in mind that your, especially if you're working with CrossFitters, the energy expenditure of intervals is probably higher than the 30, 45 minutes of zone two that you would replace that with if they want to train with the strength bias. So because we don't have accurate ways of measuring energy expenditure, I really like to look at subjective measures of fatigue. So things like libido, resting heart rate, exercise heart rate, and sleep quality, as well as just their subjective sense of well-being. If they're like, yeah, well, I just, I just feel worn out, then you want to pay attention to that. More importantly, you want to pick one or two training priorities and you want to measure them from mesocycle to mesocycle. So if you are making appreciable gains in your top training priorities, then that's an indicator that you don't need to train. You don't need to change the program. Like the program is working. So that is the main way to gauge program efficacy. Okay, guys, that is it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on intervals, endurance, and fatigue. If you are listening on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, please rate the podcast. It helps more people find it, share it with a friend, and I will see you guys in the next one.